The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. As we continue this sitting, take a few moments to bring to mind some memory you have of being particularly at peace, calm, at ease, going back over your life. Can you remember a time when you were particularly peaceful, calm, so it was palpable in your body and your mind and your heart? See, perhaps you can remember the circumstance But in particular, see if there's any bodily memory of how it felt in your body, in your mind. And it doesn't have to be a dramatic sense of peace. Maybe it happened this last week or last day, some small, small sense of... Re- so you have a reference point of some personal experience of well-being, of peace, ease, calm, feeling at home in yourself. And if you can have such a memory, especially if you can remember what it felt like in your body or in your mind, the feeling of it, take a few moments to breathe with it. Kind of breathe through it, through your body that feels that way, parts of your body that might be connected to that memory. as part of this memory or quite separate from it. See if you can tune in. Focus yourself to experience whatever sense of peace or ease that might be available now.
perhaps on the edges of your experience or the cracks of your experience, even if you're restless or agitated. And if there's any sense of ease or peace or calm that's available as you're sitting here in the midst of the noise, the the end of your thoughts, between your thoughts, breathe with that, relax with that. And with some reference to your own personal experience of peace or well-being or calm as a memory or sitting here now, from the reference point of feeling that way, what perspective does that give? What wisdom does that give? Understanding does that give? on any impulse you might have to be involved in harming or killing living life of any kind, of taking what's not given, or being involved in anything that you might consider sexual misconduct. If you imagine yourself most centered in in the experience of peace from that perspective, how do you look upon any tendency to harm life, 
steal, take what's not given, be involved in sexual misconduct. If you free yourselves of rules, precepts, shoulds and shouldn'ts, but look upon your behavior from the perspective of a peaceful state. How does that peaceful state influence what you choose to do? So welcome to our Dharma practice day, in particular to those of you who might be new to these days, welcome. 
And uh, for those of you who are new, the Dharma practice days are designed to engage in the Dharma and the various topics of areas of Buddhist practice uh, with some, um, in a different way than you would if you just were encountering them in a book or encountering them silently in your own practice. To be engaged in some teaching, some guided meditation, some reflection, and a fair amount of discussion, sometimes uh, in particular formats, uh, discussions, explorations of the topic that we're uh, exploring. And it's meant to a little bit replicate the richness of living in a monastery, for example, where uh, you're sharing uh, your life uh, with <coughs> other practitioners. And as you run into each other in all kinds of situations, one of the common topics of conversation might be um, areas having to do with the practice or with the Dharma or the teacher of the monastery might have given a talk and uh, then after lunch uh, the residents might just naturally start talking about that topic and, and exploring in some way and also getting to know each other um, as a community of uh, fellow practitioners in ways that are helpful and meaningful for the ongoing support that people have as practitioners. Uh, it's a much, uh, I think, st- uh, stronger, more supportive to be practicing in community, and the community helps by getting to know each other. So that's part of the function of a day like today. Uh, if you're new here, uh, also some of the exercises, some of the discussions that you might have with others here um, might seem a little bit awkward at first. Uh, some people are reluctant to be involved in some of them because they maybe seem kind of personal. Uh, I can say that um, uh, the people who do it and come back you know, regularly for these Dharma practice days tend to find it very meaningful to learn how to have these conversations, to, uh, to, um, to benefit from them, and any shyness people have tends to uh, pass away after a while. The, so this, the Dharma practice day today is part of a year-long series on the Eightfold Path, and the Eightfold Path is probably the most uh, classic description of Buddhist practice that comes from the time of the Buddha. Uh, in calling it a path, it implies a kind of a way in which we go forward th- uh, with our practice in time um, along a path of development, of growth, of unfolding. And uh, there's eight elements to this path. And uh, it's, I think it's uh, helpful to think of these eight elements as pointing to the idea that we bring all of ourselves in Buddhist practice. Um, if, if you only sat down to, did, only did meditation and were free only when you meditated, that's nice for your meditation, but it doesn't really help the rest of your life very much. The idea is to uh, f- develop ourselves, to learn about ourselves, to share ourselves with the Dharma, with the practice, in all aspects of our lives. So it's an integrated holistic approach that really applies and is relevant for all of our lives. And so, uh, in the most simplistic way, the eight elements are divided into three categories. One has to do with uh, our cognitive life, how we understand things and what motivates us and what we do. Uh, Three of the elements have to do with our behavior, how we act in the world. And then three of the elements, uh, factors, have to do with how we train or cultivate our mind, our hearts. 
And so right now we're involved in those middle section having to do with our behavior and actions. And um, uh, it's, uh, some people say that it's a lot easier to have some m- monitoring and some control of our actions than it is to monitor and control our minds. You know, what we think and what we feel and what desires we have. Because you can have strong desires for something and, um, and you can keep your hands to yourself. You know, you might be sometimes quite challenged to do that, break out in a sweat, but uh, you might have more control over what you do with your hands than what you do, what you're thinking and doing. Also, what you do with your hands and your body uh, it tends to be more noticeable sometimes than what goes on in your mind. So you might be noticing if you're, you know, doing something that you'd rather not with your hands as you're doing it than if you're you know, doing something with your mind that maybe you don't notice. So uh, it's meant to be kind of the, so it's part of it for that reason, it's the precursor or the foundation for doing the mental cultivation, mental development that the Eightfold Path is involved with that first one focuses on one's behavior. The third factor in the Eightfold Path is uh, the first of the behavior ones have to do, do with speech <clears throat> and that's what we covered last time we met in December. Uh, today the topic is uh, uh, usually translated into English as right action and the next month it will be right livelihood. And um, so the topic today is uh, action. The Pali word is uh, kamanta. It's uh, kamma, which means uh, karma, uh, action itself. And anta uh, means something like a factor or a principle or aspect. So an aspect or principle of action or activity. And um, what's I think a little bit interesting is that uh, the word karma uh, has an ancient pedigree in, uh, in India, going way back before the time of the Buddha. And it seems, from what scholars have, have written about, that the earliest uses of the word karma goes back to the Vedic texts, the ancient Vedas, which were written, I don't know how many years ago, four or five thousand years ago, quite a long time ago. And karma there um, uh, specifically refers to ritual actions. So actions, uh, you know, they, 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 because in the ancient uh, religious life, people would conduct rituals, ritual sacrifices and of various kinds, uh, to the gods in the hopes that the gods would grace them with all kinds of benefits, or at least not cause them any harm. And so there were a variety of different rituals people did. The fire ceremony was one, ritual with fire. And so it seems that uh, this word karma referred, that time referred to ritual action or sacred actions, actions having to do with the religion and the sacred realm. And with time, the word karma uh, became expanded in meaning, and we don't know if the Buddha did this or other religious teachers in ancient India, but then the word karma became um, to me just a kind of common word for actions, for activity. But I, I kind of like, I like to assume or, or, uh, or maybe interpret that the meaning of sacred action lingers in the word karma. Uh, so that uh, in this way, that all activities that we're involved in could be sacred or are important or are consequential in important ways. And that caring for our action, uh, caring for what we do, 
uh, is a sacred act, is a spiritual act, is a religious act, is an important act if you don't like that kind of religious language. It's a significant and meaningful act. And so we want to be the caretakers and the custodians, caretakers um, um, of our actions in, in ways that are meaningful for ourselves and the world around us. So in this uh, uh, topic of right action for today, the, uh, 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 they're usually defined as uh, being three things called right action. And, uh, and actually, uh, how this definition is done, it's actually three actions that we don't do. So it's uh, kind of right action. What is right action? It's not acting this way, this way. <laughs> so it's um, not, usually said not killing, not taking what's not given, and not being involved in sexual misconduct. And um, the word for killing, uh, atipana, uh, atipata, uh, could also mean to injure or to strike at something. And I would like to, inter- usually most commentators say it means not to kill, but uh, I like to also consider it means not to be involved in any uh, active causing of injury, intentional in- causing of injury to anybody. It's a, it's a very strong um, uh, principle of ahimsa, of non-violence, non-harming. And, um, and then uh, tucked away in the text, the ancient texts, uh, is a suggestion there are positive corollaries to these three restraints. Um, so the idea of not killing sometimes discussed in the form of uh, one would dwell having compassion for all beings. And uh, so which is a high value, this idea of having compassion. So, <clears throat> but these three actions, uh, these three non-restraints uh, uh, are considered very important. And uh, we'll explore them in the course of today, these things and their importance, and from different angles and different ways. <clears throat> and for now, what I'd like to do is to, um, actually, as an introduction to this day, I'd like to say one more thing. And then I want to give a little teaching that... Uh, and then have you do discussion, and then we'll take a break. And uh, if you need to go to the bathroom uh, when we break to have our discussion, you can slip out that time. Um, one of the things is about, um, uh, I think uh, many of you, you, all of you who come regularly to IMC, uh, know that we're, um, uh, we're set up intentionally being an urban meditation center, recognizing that people have busy lives and important things to do, uh, we're set up intentionally so that people can come and go as they wish, meaning that people are welcome to come late. We trust, we trust that people have the important things to do, and that's why they come late. The idea that people can come when they can, and uh, that's what we want to have. And, um, and what I'd like to do, ask of you, is I noticed that a lot of the people who came late were the people who come here most frequently. So, um, uh, whereas the people who are new and never been here before, they were on time. And um, so that's fine to come late. I, I, want to be, I want this place to be a comfortable place to come late. But I think that it's an it's a, uh, act of generosity for those of people who come late. <clears throat> if you would not come into the hall here while people are sitting, especially if we're doing a guided meditation, um, just wait in the outer hall. Uh, you're, you know, the, uh, you're welcome to come late, but just wait out there. Because I think, especially when I'm doing guided meditations and people trying to be a little bit focused on what the topic is, to have people coming in and rustling, and even when people rustle out in the outer hall, some people in the wintertime have uh, Velcro-like coats, and 
<clears throat> and uh, taking them off without any consideration for the noise in here, I think, um, you know, is, uh, I think that, to, to point, you know, I say it differently, I think it's just a generous act to kind of come in and be very attentive and careful. And, and um, so we'll try, if we remember, the managers and whoever's here early, to put some chairs out in the outer hall so that there's a place you can sit if you... Um, <clears throat> but that's a request I have for all of you. So, um, <clears throat> okay, so, um, a little piece of teaching. <clears throat> In terms of Buddhist practice, it could be said that there are two primary motivations or categories of motivations for doing that practice. <clears throat> One is to avoid suffering, to become free of suffering, whether one's own suffering or help to alleviate suffering of others. <clears throat> so the focus then is suffering, understanding suffering, helping to alleviate suffering. The other is um, kind of the other side of suffering is a focus on experiencing non-suffering, the peace, the happiness, the well-being, the ease that is on the other side of not suffering. And some people are very clearly attuned to their suffering. They have a lot of suffering, things of, you know, the struggles in their lives, and it makes sense to tune into it, to be, to try to resolve it, work with it, to try to become free of it, find some relief, do something makes complete sense. And some people are somehow more tuned into the other side, the two sides of the same hand, kind of. The other side of that, the possibility of peace or ease. And so then guided meditation we did, I try to evoke or remind you of experiences of peace you've had, and then suggested that from the perspective of that peace, how, what does that uh, influence how you behave and what you do? As most of you know, when people are extremely stressed out, tired, hungry, angry, irritated, <clears throat> and so forth, that um, it's usually a prescription for behavior later we, we wish we hadn't done. Uh, easier to snap at people, to get angry or something. And, um, <clears throat> but if you're well-rested and well-fed and at ease and not in a hurry to get anywhere, that sometimes then other you know, we, we tend not to act in stressful ways. We tend to then maybe more likely to come with more generous ways to other people. <clears throat> when we look at our behavior, ethical behavior, like things like the five precepts, not killing, not stealing, not involved in sexual misconduct, not lying and not engaged in intoxicants, what motivates you to be ethical? Are you motivated more by the avoidance of harm the avoidance of suffering, or are you motivated more by the potential or possibility of peace or well-being or happiness? In being ethical, are you safeguarding peace and well-being, or are you protecting people from, or yourself, from harm? It's kind of like, you know, where's it, which direction do you look? Do you more tune into the harm and suffering, or you're more tuned in to the peace and well-being. <clears throat> this is not. There's no right or wrong answer here. 
Uh, it could easily be that you're thinking, well, I should be the kind of person who focuses on peace and well-being, and you know, certainly that's the right way to be or something. I don't know if that's the right way to be. Each way, what's right is what's right for you, how you, how you operate, how, you know, what you do. Maybe you do equal amount of both, who knows. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, our people, some people are right-handed and left-handed. Is one right or wrong? Well, one's right-handed. <laughs> but they're not right or wrong, it's just what, what is. <clears throat> so there's maybe people are, you know, suffering-handed and peaceful-handed. <laughs> and maybe we're born that way or something. But how is it for you? Uh, uh, when you think of your behavior, your ethical actions, and your choices you make, uh, which side of that motivates you, is meaningful for you, uh, encourages you to act in certain ways? Uh, how, how do you understand this kind of distinction and how it influences people? Does that make some sense, what I'm saying? So what I'd like you to do is to form groups of um, of um, four people. And, um, and then uh, just go around the circle a few times, each of you uh, sharing some thought, some reaction, some response you had to what I just said. And to say it that way, it's, it's very open, it can be very personal. Each of you might say something different. And there's no, you know, it's not a very particular question I'm, I'm giving you. Because I want you to kind of see where, where you go, what happens to you inside of you, what responds inside of you, what thoughts, what feelings <clears throat> come up. It could be, I don't have a clue what Gil is saying. Or, you know, or, you know, uh-oh. <coughs> or, you know, that was inspiring. I didn't know. Or yeah, any, anything. It could be, or, you know, where, where, what reaction? Or, oh, I know what kind of person I am now. <coughs> I didn't realize that there was two different kinds of people, suffering-handed and peaceful-handed and Boy, am I one. <laughs> uh, and anything, anything that comes up. But don't speak for very long. Because um, as you go around, you'll be influenced or in some ways or prompted to think in new ways by what you hear from other people. And the idea is to have a chance to... He- the exercise has a lot to do with hearing from other people and seeing how that affects you. So when it comes back to your turn, you might... Something new might occur to you some new perspective, and you offer it, and then go around. Now, don't make it so brief that, uh, because you're greedy to get everyone else's, uh, just, you know, but keep it, keep it short. I don't know what that means, but so you have a chance to go around a few times and uh, say a comment. And as we do this kind of discussion, uh, I think it's always good to remember that uh, if you find yourself telling a long story in order to explain yourself, and you, know, you remember the story really well already, um, uh, it's, uh, uh, don't tell the whole story. Um, <clears throat> uh, try to try to truncate it or get to the point, and, uh, so, so that so that there's more time for discussion and, and letting the kind of group group mind kind of evolve as you go around. Make some sense. And if you need to go to the bathroom, this is a good time. Why don't you first find your groups of four, and uh, if there's uh, some not a division of four. Uh, if you can't find a group of four to sit in, walk towards me. And uh, you might find each other then, groups of four, or if there's not quite a group of uh, some leftover one, two, or three, I will help with that. Please.
Imagine, am I on? Yeah. So I imagine that um, there was you trouble hearing. Do you need to have it? Should it be a little bit louder, or hmm? middle louder, teeny bit louder. Let's see. Is that is that look better now? Okay. So uh, not too loud. Let's see. That's a different system, so it should be. So I think, is that, it seems better? Okay, so. Um, I imagine that there was a variety of uh, topics or ways of exploring this in the, in the different groups. So each of you had the, you know, had your topic and your group, but it'd be nice to hear uh, from some of the different people in different groups about what that was like to, and maybe we can hear some of the variety or ways in which that conversation was meaningful for you or surprising for you or something. Can we ask questions? You can, you can ask questions. You might not get any answers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, qu- I, I, I love questions. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, just to give a quick report, I think many of us some of us felt that the framework is really useful. Oh, some, yeah. some of us felt that the framework is really useful to, to just expand our thinking. Uh-huh. And, um, but also some of us felt like we couldn't really, we didn't really see the distinction really. That they, but um, the question though was that um, sometimes uh, in some Buddhist, some Buddhist teachers have talked about um, among sort of greed and aversion and ignorance that each of us has certain proclivities or tendencies. And we're wondering if there's some kind of correlation possibly between this framework that you're using mm. versus sort of these, do mm. you know what, what I'm asking? Oh yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, so especially between greed and, and hate, yeah. and probably if there's a lot of aversion, uh, it's more likely to react towards suffering, away from suffering, and greed more likely to want peace or well-being. Mm-hmm. So that, that could be a correlation. Responding to your first question, it was just so nice to be with a group of people that you could talk about these things without having to explain what you're talking about. (laughs) Great, thank you. Um, Well, I'll just mention a couple of things. Um, One, I, I, I got the impression that for for many of us there were dual motivations. Sometimes we were motivated um, to avoid uh, con- the consequences of improper behavior. At other times, we were motivated uh, because we got some joy out of behaving in certain ways. Or um, sometimes it's easier to behave 
when one is already feeling a sense of peace and generosity and wholeness. Um, one thing that came up that I thought was particularly interesting is the idea that um, behaving ethically towards others uh, seemed to be more seems to be easier because the consequences were more obvious than behaving well towards oneself. Mm. So that we thought it was significant, I think, some of us, that um, maybe it should also work in terms of how we treat ourselves, mm -hmm. that we are as worthy of good behavior towards ourselves. Great. Very nice. Um, I found it helpful when... Green, green light. I found it helpful when someone in our group said, you know, no absolutes, but it can often be easier to notice suffering than peace. And that also often in groups when we interact, we're driven by the fact that we're suffering, that the group is going wrong, and so we try to interact to make it right as opposed to we're at peace and trying to share that. Our group, uh, as we discussed, um, we kind of blended into the concept of being mindful and staying present, which brought us to the relaxation of meditation. So as we came towards the end of our conversation, we wound up discussing the importance of meditation and the idea of um, meditating in the morning if it's only for five minutes just as a, as, as a starting to the day. So it gives a reference point to the day that uh, supports how you act and how you behave. Yes? Great. Thank you. An another thing that came out of our group was that when we are suffering it's helpful to do some sort of meta practice. And, and I realized when we were talking about it that um, instead of feeling like a victim if I'm suffering, when I do meta, I'm, I'm the one who's like sending loving energy. And so I, I'm the actor now rather than the victim. So, I, so that those two, the meditating and the meta, seem to <coughs> go so well together. Mm, very nice. Actor rather than victim. Our group was um, noticing how um, awareness of, of our, um, and the word snarkiness was used, or, or grumpiness, or, or just awareness of how we're feeling at the moment, is really um, involved in, in wanting to be kind and friendly and, and, um, and peaceful. In other words, um, just cultivating that awareness of, of whatever is going on. Uh, and, and especially for me, if, if there is agitation or, or non-peace, to, 
I just want to keep encouraging myself to be aware of that. Um, and, and then not to, um, uh, to, to be aware of then when I'm trying to shake it off and, and make myself be in the right state of mind. Uh, so, so, so if I understand you, the, mo- the motivation to be aware of grumpiness is so that it doesn't disturb the peace? Yes, and um, and you know, I, I think it's trying trying to be aware of the grumpiness in a peaceful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, so that's be kind to our grumpiness rather than grumpy because you snarky because you're grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, I don't know the word snarky. It's a new one for yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. Is that a, Pacific Palisades word? (laughs) (laughs) But just letting it be there, I think, is the main thing that I'm thinking of. Yeah. uh, Rather than forcibly trying to change it. Good. Well, what I noticed is um, there really isn't much difference whatever end or side you came in at, whether you're one that suffered a lot and striving toward peace or or if you just had a curiosity about peace and wanted to cultivate that more. Um, Because either way, it comes to the same realization of not clinging to one or the other. That's right. I hope I certainly hope that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, sometimes it's uh, some uh, you know, different people have different. Uh, each each of these two sides has their blind spots or their downside or weakness, and and uh, and so sometimes it's very wise to notice suffering, but then sometimes people cling to the suffering in negative ways, and uh, sometimes it's very wise to notice a peace, but some people cling to that. Exactly. And so so you have to be cautious of both directions also. Yeah. But hopefully you're right that it leads to the same place. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you very much. So let's take a um, 20-minute break. Let's start again at 11, 11.15. And um, those of you who are new, there is uh, tea. The bathroom's in the back of the building, and there's tea in the, in the drawers and cups, and you can uh, help yourself with the hot water and the hot water heater. <laughs>